0: Everyone, welcome to a new edition of the D. Rose and Thorns podcast. It's been a while, but with a lot going on in the NBA right now, we figured it would be a great time to jump back in. I'm Jake Weiner, and I'll be joined by Jeff Barrest. You can read him on drosenthorns.com. and today's Fast Break. Jeff is the biggest Sixers fan that I know, and a very fun follow on Twitter, at Jeff Barrest. So, Jeff, I wanted to talk about the Sixers, obviously, and uh, we're going to get into free agency because that's the the good meaty stuff right now. But uh, when, when you're talking about the Sixers and Hinky, it really all comes back to the draft. And the draft got pretty interesting this year because the Lakers went with D'Angelo Russell, who seemed like a pretty good fit for the Sixers, and the Sixers were forced to decide what to do, and it took another big man. They went with Jaleel Okafor. What did you think of that?
1: Yeah, well, um, first off, thanks for uh, inviting me on the podcast for the first time. You know, it's hard to, GMs don't really tell you what their order, their big board is. So, like, it's, I mean, it's possible that they do, they did really want Russell. It's not like Sammy came out and said, hey, like, we took Okafor because Russell was gone. But then again, I mean, I listened to the press conference and the way he talks about Okafor, how he doesn't think of, think about it as having three big men because he mentions, like, the positives of Okafor. Like, um, the fact that he can demand a double team is so rare in the NBA today. And it's just another. So forget the fact that he can't shoot a a twenty foot jump shot when he has two guys closing in on him. That's going to leave guys open on the court. He just lists the types of assets that Jul, that Jaleel has, and, and he says he's nineteen years old. Every, I mean, his defense is going to improve. I mean, he needs to get used to the NBA game, but he's so he's already so skilled underneath that it was just too hard to press up. And may, I mean, for me, I really am more interested in. The Sixers finally getting good, so I wasn't think I really wasn't thinking Okafor at all during the draft. I was kind of hoping they would skip over him because I was just I to get you know fill fill needs right now, which is I guess not the right thing to do when if you're going by the Sixers plan. But I was a big Porzingis fan, not to the Knicks, but basically to anywhere else. But yeah, I don't think Hinky viewed Jaleel. I mean, he the way he talks about him, he. he probably with the second player on his board, which I don't really believe. I think he's just telling the media what they want to hear. But yeah, I mean, now that I've had a couple of days to die, more than a couple of days to digest the draft, I'm really, really happy with getting over for because he's clearly a more finished product than Russell was.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think when you look at it, uh, we really only know a couple different things about the Sixers and Sam Hinkie right now. Uh, the first one is that they're pretty far away from contending. As as much as Philly fans want to uh, think that this is going to be the offseason that, you know, they start to make the moves, it's pretty clear that that's not going to happen. The other thing is that Hinky is not afraid to make moves, and he's very comfortable looking for loopholes in the rules. He's always on the phones, and he's always trying to improve his team. So when you really think about it, Jaleel Okafor was the only pick they could have made there, because right now they have New Noel, who had a really promising season last season, given that he missed his entire rookie season, but a clearly limited offensive player who we've talked about this. He's going to be hard to shoehorn into a, an efficient NBA offense. You really need to put the right players around him. And uh, Joel Okafor happens to be a guy that could fit next to him just because of his incredible uh, skills around the basket. But on top of that, when you have Joel Embiid, who the reports about his uh, his foot are not promising right now, the Sixers are clearly just so far away from having the team that they want to have when they're making the playoffs that you have to take the best player available. And when you know that Embiid's not going to be ready for opening night and maybe not the whole season if we're to believe some of the reports, you should just take your best asset, see how everything plays out, and down the line you can always make a move and, you know, free up some room for whatever you want. So I think that was, you know, pretty much the only move that Pinky could have done there. And as, as much as they say that they're not making any trades, you never know what's going to happen, but it doesn't make sense for them to trade anyone right now because I don't think they are really looking to trade Nerlens or Jaleel, and Embiid has very little trade value at the moment. So I assume they're going to stand pat on those guys right now. Do you agree? Right, like,
1: right. I think they're going to take a year to figure out who can play next to who and where, every, you know, how everything's going to figure it out. Because I know, I mean, Brett Brown is with the lineups he's been given. And some of the players that have emerged is like crazy when you think about it. They've been undrafted and they put up solid minutes and solid numbers. But at the very least, just taking Okafor at number three, he was he's an incredibly valuable asset whether you play him or not. Because there was so much talk before the draft whether the Magic or the Kings wanted to trade up to number two and get Okafor as a centerpiece. Like at the very least, even if you don't plan on keeping Okafor or even Noel, there's are just such such a big uh, asset, And if you pair one of those guys with a couple of the first-round picks they have accumulated, though, that's the makings of one of those trades where you can get a superstar if someone becomes available. Just so, yeah. I mean, at the very least, taking it before was just – I mean, he's an immeasurable asset at this point.
0: Yeah, and exactly. All that Hinky's trying to do right now is stockpile those assets, which is a good uh, transition into the next thing I want to talk about. The actually biggest Sixers news of the moment <laughs> – Stauskas, baby, Sauce Castillo. Give me your thoughts on the uh, the trade with the Kings. Just to recap it, uh, I, uh, yeah, uh, I'm okay, just gonna so... uh, I'm just gonna go over it real quick, just in case uh, someone doesn't know the details of it. So it was basically a pure salary dump for the Kings. The Kings traded Nick Stauskas, who was the eighth pick last year, and then Carl Landry and Jason Thompson, who both have two years remaining on their contracts for a good amount of money. I don't know the exact figures, but Uh, several million, and the Sixers sent back the rights to two second-round picks, foreign players that will probably never come over. The Sixers also received a top-ten protected first-round pick that will uh, become eligible two years after the Kings fulfill their rights to the Bulls, who they currently owe a pick, and then the right to swap first-round picks in two different drafts. All right, break it down, Jeff.
1: Well, I mean, (laughs) it's kind of funny because I like Nick Stauskas a lot. I like what he can bring to the table. Obviously, I don't think anyone could succeed as a rookie in the situation he was put in last year. So if, you, if you're if you like looking at him and saying, oh, he's already a bust, I mean, just, it's it's the Kings. He, he couldn't get on the court. They had three different coaches. Did you really expect him to, I don't know, show up? I mean, he was playing behind Macklemore, who they drafted the year before him. He just was in the worst possible situation. And, I mean, I was looking at the Sixers free agency with optimism thinking they would actually sign somebody i was like on board with signing danny green for like double the amount the spurs gave him i was just like we need a shooter so badly so just the fact that we have another shooter on the team now who fits in the two spot we have a bunch of guys like jeremy grant hollis thompson robert covington who are really small forwards and they just kind of were pressed into playing shooting guards now that we have someone who we can plug in and last year they tried to trade up with the Kings in the first round to get Stalyski's. Where well, they were, they got they. The only reason they took Alfred Payton is know the they knew the Magic wanted him badly, and they could recoup their first round pick that they lost in the Bynum trade. But they did really want Stalyski's. They tried to trade up uh, to get him, but they got Sarge as a kind of a, a villain guy. He was the next guy on their board. So to get him for basically nothing, taking on a couple contracts. And yeah, trading two second round picks, who, and I was talking to a friend of the other day, when, during the draft, Fran Frischilla described the two guys, one was a tourist gud- he described him as a warm body, <laughs> and then Luka, Luka Mit- uh, Mitrovich who was the last pick, and his analysis was, at least, this, at least he got drafted, and this is something he could tell his grandkids about. <laughs> so these guys, like, Sam Hickey... I think he invited Gudaitis to play in the summer league, but he had no intention of bringing these guys over. And they were a power forward and a center. How would they get time over the guys they have on the team now? So basically nothing. And the other thing, they got Jason Thompson, who's serviceable, and who Hickey will likely flip next season during the trade deadline for maybe, I mean, if he's playing well, a first-round pick to trade him to a contender. He's still a useful player. And if Carl Landry comes back from injury, it's another player you can deal for a second-round pick. So, I mean, I don't really view them, I view it as, obviously it's a salary dump, but I view those guys as just guys you can get more picks with, and I think to get the the first round pick is a couple years away, and it's top 10 protect, protected, so hopefully the Kings get together so we can get that pick, but the, the part that I'm most interested about was that we're able to swap first in 2016-2017, which is... On the on the surface, you're like, oh well, you're you know both teams still get a first round pick, but for Hinky it's just more lottery balls. It's more ping pong balls in the lottery. Let, let's say this year, up, this upcoming year, the Sixers finish third worst, and the Kings finish sixth worst, sixth uh, worst. Like this year, this those are just more chances that the Sixers get the first overall pick. Like I think so, they would move up from the fifteen percent or whatever it was at the three spot plus the or, I don't know the percentage off the top of my head, but that the Kings had to get the first. So there's just two more years of more chances of getting the number one pick, which is very underrated.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think no matter how you look at it, this is a pretty huge disaster for the Kings because they only did it to open up cap space. And one of the cardinal sins of NBA free agency is making a rash move to open up cap space before you have anything close to a commitment from the players you want. And the players that they were reported to be very interested in when all this was going down were Rajon Rondo, Wesley Matthews, and Monte Ellis. And we know that Monte Ellis turned down an extra million a year to go to Indiana from them. And now we know that Wesley Matthews signed for I think uh it's probably going to be about thirteen million a year in Dallas, and they were offering him like sixteen million a coming off an Achilles tear, which is a whole nother question. Yeah. And, I, I can't even yeah. be-
1: honestly. I could I couldn't believe when I saw that four-year, $64 million offer for a guy who's coming off an injury which most players don't recover well from.
0: Who's not even at all. that young. He's going to be in his 30s during right. that contract. It's almost more amazing that he turned it down than that they offered it. It's yes, just that, bizarre. That's
1: exactly. That's the part that I was more amazed at. I was like, "It's you if you're, <laughs> his, his rehab must be going extremely well where he's able to turn down a guaranteed $64 million.
0: Yeah, I think that tells you how much of a train wreck things are in Sacramento right now. And uh, actually, I'm not sure if you saw this, but uh, I think like within the last hour, it was reported that the Kings are actually signing Marco Bellinelli to three years and 19 million. Marco Bellinelli right, is basically Stauskas, but kind of good at shooting. But that's what Stauskas projects to become. Bellinelli, uh, he was on the Bulls a few years ago. He had some moments, but he's not a great defender. Um, he's not. He's not consistent. He's not a great passer. He's just not, not that good of a player. Uh, it's probably not that bad of a contract, but they're not going to be that good next year. So they dumped all these salaries, and now they're just going to sign whoever's available to them or whoever's willing to take the overpay. And it's just not good. It's good for the Sixers, though. That's true.
1: Right. I think uh, you saw. I mentioned on Twitter last night that they're probably just going to offer Rondo a hundred million dollars because <laughs> they just need. They desperately need to sign one person. That's has that's worth anything, and it's it's just a disaster. And uh, I was uh, so <laughs> they signed Bellinelli. So would you would you rather have Bellinelli for almost seven million dollars a year, or Stauskas on his rookie deal for like three more years? Yeah, like it's it's ridiculous. And like, I mean, Sam Hinkie just straight up bullied Vladi Divac in this deal. Like, Vivek just goes to Vladi. We need to clear space. The Sixers have space. I guess that's what the, their first instinct was. Call him, dump the salaries, and just Hinky had him on the hook and just literally like, you're going to give me this, you're going to give me this, and Stauskas, and I'll take all the your bum salaries. And I think because Vladi has no idea what he's doing as a general manager, and Hinky's just very, very savvy and knows what he's doing, that he just straight up bullied the Kings into just giving them a first-round pick and those two uh, pick swaps.
0: Let's change gears. Let's talk about some of the the deals that have been signed in the last few days. It's been a crazy beginning to free agency. After last season, when everyone was just waiting to see where LeBron was going to sign, and nothing basically nothing happened for a week and a half, if you're not Jody Meeks. Pretty much every big free agent has already made a decision, or we have a pretty good idea of where they're going to sign besides LaMarcus Aldridge. So let's talk about some of the deals that have already happened. Do you have any uh, in mind, or should I just start going down the list?
1: Just uh, start going
0: down the list, and we'll I'll just add some comments and stuff. All right, let's uh, let's start with Danny Green. We talked about him very briefly, but he signed a very interesting deal. He signed for four years, forty five million to stay with the Spurs. We can talk about what the Spurs are up to. I think we both agree that that is a pretty insane bargain. Danny Green is a phenomenal wing defender. Very underrated because he plays next to Kawhi Leonard, but a lot of the reason that Kawhi Leonard is freed up to do a lot of the great things that he does is because Danny Green can consistently cover the other guy on the wings so well. And obviously what we all know about Danny is that he's an unbelievably good three-point shooter. He had that crazy run in the finals a couple of years back where he broke the record, I think like five games into the series. So I think that was a great signing for the Spurs to bring him back. I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to with their pursuit of Aldridge were you surprised that uh, Danny Green took that big of a pay cut?
1: You know, like I guess I was surprised, but the way the Spurs organization just works, you kind of in the back of your head, you are like that kind of makes sense. And Danny Green was, I mean, uh, was he playing over like playing overseas for a year before Popovich found him and brought him back over, and he just he flamed out of the league. And I guess maybe he feels like he owes something to the Spurs for bringing him back in, and also. Which, I mean, if you could go to the Knicks or the Pistons or the Mavericks, I mean, why not stay in playoff contention? If he, I mean, I, I guess I realize it's surprising, but it's also not surprising. That's how I, how I describe it. Because, I mean, as a Sixers fan, as, as it goes for realist, realistic free agent signings for the Sixers, I think Danny Green was number one on my board because he, he could shoot and maybe he... He has a relationship with Brett Brown, and maybe he could be slayed, and maybe he decided decide to spend some money, but I I love what Danny Green brings as a player. He's six six. he can guard twos and threes, he can shoot from deep. I mean, he's everything you really want, so for the Spurs to get him on for $11 million a year is great for them.
0: Yeah, and uh, it was really, really important for them, because obviously Kawhi Leonard's extension is going to kick in, and uh, they're... I guess, probably still the favorite as of now to sign LaMarcus Aldridge, although things have certainly gotten hairier. Uh, So the coinciding move with that Danny Green deal was they traded Tiago Splitter for nothing. The Hawks literally just took him into cap space. I think he makes like eight or nine million a year. He signed a couple of years ago to a new contract. Uh, So the Spurs just (laughs) unloaded Splitter. I was a little surprised at just how abruptly that happened, but I guess it makes sense. Did you think that uh, he was someone that they were going to try and keep even if they got Aldridge? Or do you think that maybe Diaz is a better fit next to Aldridge if he signs?
1: I just don't... I think his injuries really played a part to the trade. I don't... He just wasn't available most of the year. And maybe the Spurs medical staff is worried about him or maybe he just they don't feel like he would fit with Aldridge. And maybe they just think... Uh, I think they took... Uh, a center from Serbia in this year's first round draft. First in this year's first round, and maybe he can come over. They think he can come over in one year instead of like two or three, and he can fill that spot. And I think it honestly makes sense for both teams because the Hawks were have zero front court depth outside of Millsap and Warford. So and I'm Antic, for both Antic is teams. going back it overseas. Sense to me.
0: Sorry, I was just saying Antic is going back overseas, so they have another need there, even though he wasn't that great last year.
1: Yeah, I just think the splitter thing. If he can't stay on the court, if they don't feel like, if they don't feel confident that he can stay on the court, then it makes sense to get rid of him right now instead of getting the no value. I mean, they did get zero value for him, but they, they unloaded nine million. So I think it's, it's a smart move.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if the Hawks have quietly gotten significantly worse. Uh, they lost Mari Carroll. He signed to a, a fat new contract in Toronto, four years, sixty million. We could talk about that in a second. But they brought back Millsap for a three-year deal. He has a player option on year three, so he can hit free agency again in two years, as he likes to do. And uh, they traded during the draft. They traded, I think it was, they traded down from 15 to 19, and then they traded the 19th pick for Tim Hardaway Jr., who's just not good. So I don't know about that, because now their wing depth is... It's very interesting because they lost Carroll and they replaced him with Hardaway. And Kyle Corver, for those of you keeping score at home, has now had off-season surgeries in two different places on his body. He had an elbow scope and an ankle surgery. So they could be pretty thin. They're going to be relying a lot on Corver coming back from injury, Hardaway being decent, and Tabo Cephalosha, who obviously was dealing with a broken ankle of his own.
1: Right. And obviously, I mean, DeMar Carroll was great on both sides of the ball this year, but the first thing they're gonna miss is his defense, having someone that can D up, you know, the team's any team's best wing player. And he's just so he's so gritty on defense, he gets rebounds and steals and that's how he was in college in Missouri too. But that's the first and foremost the thing they're gonna miss. And just the Tim getting Tim Hardaway was just so weird because he had such a poor season with the Knicks. It's not like he was coming off uh his rookie year where he was really impressive and He's only, I think he's only like six five. He's not a he's not a small forward. So now you got to play Corver and Hardaway at the two, and I don't know who's even lined up to play the three. Really, they, maybe they're still gonna sign some. I mean, somebody. I don't know who's left, but uh, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense on the surface. And when when you thought that they took Kelly Oubre in the draft, you're like, okay, maybe they'll let. Uh, Carroll go and Ubre, they give him one year to develop. So they'll be worse. They'll still be a playoff team probably, and then maybe he could be he could fill in year two. And then you just find out they trade him for Hardaway and two second round picks that are not really anything. I forget who they picked. I know they're not significant, but it just it feels like they kind of botched this one. I mean, Budenholzer was only the GM for uh, a couple of days before that draft and. I mean, he's a brilliant guy, but maybe maybe they had something in Danny Ferry put together this great team.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, Danny Ferry left in a very awkward way with the uh, whole racist scouting report that he read about Luol Deng and the very long leave of absence. But for better or for worse, he was the one who built that very good Atlanta team. And Buttonholzer really doesn't have experience as a GM. And most of the evidence that we've seen of coaches in this league operating as GMs has not been positive. So definitely a scary start to that era for Hawks fans. Let's talk about Tyson Chandler. He signed for four years and 52 million with the Suns. It was a little surprising to everyone because the Mavs were uh, hoping to, you know, keep him around to maybe dangle in a sign and trade. And I don't know if the Suns are necessarily one of the top teams on anyone's radar for him, but I really liked this signing. Did you? I did
1: like it. I liked, but this is—I liked it contingent on the Suns actually getting Aldridge. I think because it, they still have Alex Len, who uh, I think definitely uh, showed a lot last season. So maybe you get Chandler, and I thought that maybe they would have if they if they felt like they would get Aldridge. That's when you can trade Len or like a Marquise Morris. I don't think you can keep all four of those guys and. uh but now, if you don't get Aldridge, you're just you're giving less minutes to Alex Len for a team that's still kind of growing, and now you have Tyson Chandler for four years. So they kind of block themselves a bit because I think Alex Len is just a, he's not. I mean, I guess, he, I guess he's not yet. He's not the type of defensive player Chandler was, but he's a great shot blocker. He has good touch around the hoop on offense. So now you're just giving him less time to develop on the court. I mean I like the Chandler and Markie Morris uh fit together but I just I really like them going off after Aldrich but now this this signing which seemed good on the surface it's just it's a, a little bit puzzling now but I get what they were trying to do
0: Yeah I think you made some good points definitely uh about Len uh I had him in my on my fantasy basketball team this year and when you, when you look at his stats, they actually are really similar to Tyson Chandler's. Obviously, he's not the defensive difference maker that Chandler is yet, but it is interesting. Um, you, you have to wonder if maybe the Suns are going to try to move Len, like you mentioned, uh, or maybe they're just worried about his injuries because he hasn't really been able to stay healthy, I think, for longer than like 30 games at a time, even going back to when he was in Maryland. So there's definitely some questions with him. Part of the reason I just really like this signing from Tyson Chandler's perspective was that I always worried that he was, you know, one season away from his body just finally breaking down. It looked like he was there his last season with the Knicks when he had a stress fracture in his leg and he could just never really get healthy, but Phoenix is known for having an unbelievably good training and medical staff. So I think it's a great fit for Tyson to kind of keep his career rejuvenated and he should be able to get pretty good value off of it, but it's definitely dependent on how they kind of retool the rest of their roster, like you said, because uh, they're clearly still in the mix for LaMarcus Aldridge, which is really interesting because I did not expect that. But it it could be a really good fit for him. Bledsoe is very good. Um, Chandler would be a nice fit next in. We know that Aldridge has no interest in playing center, so that would allow him to do that. And the training staff, again, Aldridge is a guy who's had some pretty big injuries. You know, he had the thumb thing all year last year had a pretty major hip injury that required surgery a couple years back, so that could be a big factor for him. It'll be interesting. I still think he'll probably join the Spurs, but he, from all the reports, it's clear that he's definitely considering the Suns. The Suns also, yeah. they actually also made a deal already. I forgot about this. They extended Brandon Knight five years for $70 million, which is kind of a lot, but in the new uh, salary cap era, which that extension I believe will take place under that's probably pretty fair value especially because they got rid of Goran and Isaiah Thomas last year. Were you a fan of this extension for Knight? I I was. I really really like
1: Brandon Knight and I, I like him more with the Suns than I liked him with the Bucks because now no one can really complain that he's I guess not a great defensive player and the, and he's more of a when they had Dragic and Bledsoe. Dragic can play the 2, but obviously prefers to play point guard the major like the vast majority of the game. But Brandon Knight can shoot the ball. He can play the 2 more fluidly than Dragic can. And now Bledsoe can play the point. I think it's I think the Suns maybe, you know, this this season when they start to mesh a little more, I think they could definitely make a play for the 8th seed even if they don't get Aldridge. I think it Obviously, obviously Lennon won't play as much, but they definitely get better defensively, having Chandler as a rim protector, and it's, if you give them, I don't know, four or five more wins because of Chandler, I mean, they're right in the mix for a playoff spot, and I think Brandon Knight's only going to improve. I don't, he's not very old either. Eric Bledsoe was amazing last year. Uh, I think they have a really, they have a re- I mean, they have a really nice team, and I I was with you. I was like when I saw the Suns were interested in Aldridge. I was like that makes a ton of sense. And if they're if they're passionate, if they sell it to him, like you know, like every team's supposed to sell him for agency. Like we really want you. I just think them coming out of nowhere was was great. I thought I thought he fits there very very well. And uh, I so yeah. Back to Brandon Knight. I just I really like the extension and like like you said the cap coming up. It's a decent price. And uh, I think it's going to work out for the Suns.
0: Yeah, I think it's a fair extension. Uh, it definitely might not be the best contract in a few years if Brandon Knight doesn't improve in some of the ways that he needs to, uh, especially defensively. And I also wonder how him and, and uh, sorry, Bledsoe fit together down the line. Just because they are both kind of combo guards, and we've seen Phoenix try to do this exact thing before very recently and have it blow up in their face. So it is kind of funny that they're doing it again, but I think it was the right move for them. I also think that Chris Middleton signing the same contract with the Bucks makes that deal for Middleton look even better for Milwaukee because Chris Middleton is, I think, a no-brainer at five years, $70 million, and I probably would have given him his full max for this year at this point. Uh So I was a really big fan of that move. Middleton has hit 40% from three the last two seasons, He's a really solid defender who fits perfectly into Jason Kidd's defensive scheme in Milwaukee where they have all the long arms and the switching. So I thought that was unbelievably good by Milwaukee. I thought they should have locked him up as soon as possible for whatever he wanted. So to get him on what I see as a discount was a great move for them. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, I agree. I really like Chris Middleton too. The only thing, when you look at the Bucks team, and obviously they have the size and that's not the issue, but... You have so many guys now that are, like, in this weird, like, role. If you if you combine uh, Greek Freak, Middleton, you have, you have to bring Jabari Parker back into the mix. So, do you play Jabari at the four and Greg Monroe at the five? And then Middleton at three, Fre- Greek Freak at the two. But now, you know, Anthony Antetokounmpo's not really a good shooter. So now you – and MCW is a terrible shooter, as I know. It's been well-documented in Philadelphia. Uh, but I like signing Chris Milton, but I also could have seen them passing if they thought they could get something else down the line. And now they're pretty tied up. And then trading for Cruz Vasquez was very weird. For yeah, sure. let me,
0: let's go back a second to something you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, I think you pretty much know what their lineup is going to look like. I think in the long run, it'll really be Middleton at the two and Antetokounmpo at the three, but it doesn't really matter because they're all just long-arm freaks. But I think that he still projects out to be a very good shooter. I mean, he's only, what, like 19 or 20, and he's so athletic, and he just has so much natural feel for the game that he's (laughs) learning on the fly that I think that... uh, Eventually, he'll be a pretty good shooter, and there's already been some reports out of Milwaukee that they're really happy with his stroke this offseason. So even if it's not next year, I think next year we're going to see him actually take threes as part of his game. He might not make a lot of them, but I think that he projects to be a pretty good three-point shooter, so I don't worry as much about the spacing. As far as Michael Carter-Williams, I never really saw him as a good fit there. I don't see how he's going to become an above average point guard in today's NBA where there's just an unbelievable amount of talent at the position. He can't shoot at all. And the crazy playoff game against my bulls, notwithstanding, I just don't see it. He's definitely an interesting fit in Milwaukee's defensive scheme, but just because he's six, eight or whatever and has crazy long arms doesn't automatically make him a great defender, which he clearly isn't yet. So they definitely still have some questions, but I did really like the Greg Monroe signing after initially not really understanding it because I think that they can slot him in at the center as part of their defensive schemes and really not lose that much because he's going to be more of a help defender and let the guys with the with the crazy wingspans do their work in the middle and they could really use his post scoring touch. So I think the Bucks could be pretty dangerous next year. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I like getting Greg Monroe because he's a really talented scorer. But so they'll we'll have these this great. Defense on the wings, but if they play teams that could just bully them inside, they're going to get bullied. I mean, Jabari Parker is not going to be able to guard, you know. I mean, I know they don't play Memphis very often, but guys like Zach Randolph that are just going to bully him on the block, he'll be able to guard stretch fours, but he really wasn't a slick defender in college either. Didn't really show much the first half of the season last year or before he got injured. So they'll have this wing defense and this really porous. Uh, front court with but the Greg thing Monroe is as your rim protector.
0: The thing is they can play if they keep Zaza Pachulia, they can play him at center when they need to, and they'll still have John Henson who's a very good shot blocker and if he can get better at his uh, you know, one on one defense could be a very, very useful defender off the bench. So they have you know, they have a way to make it work when they play those other teams. And the nice thing about the Monroe contract is that I believe he has a player option on the third year and he's pretty young, so he's likely to take it and hit, you know, the crazy cap bonanza in 2017 when the cap goes over $100 I mean, he was willing to play on the qualifying offer last year. He's pretty much the only guy I can think of who's done that in the last several years. So, I would expect him to opt out after two years. So even if it doesn't work out, even if they're really hamstrung by some of these problems and he ends up playing, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game like he was some of the time in Detroit, I don't think it's the end of the world for them, especially with the cap going up.
1: Yeah, I would just say I'm with you. I really like what the Bucks put together, and I think they could be really good. They could. I think. I mean, if you look at how talented some of their players are, if you told me like today that they would win like like 50 games or 49, 50 that area, I'd be like, that kind of makes sense. They have a lot of solid players. Maybe they all get together. But I'm a little skeptic to see how it all works out and how Jason Kidd manages the lineup because there's just there's there's some holes and they're they're all really skilled and big guys, but i'm just i'm i'm a I'm a little bit skeptic, but I'm with you in the fact that I think they have they could have a really nice future.
0: You're onto to something though because one of the biggest things that I think gets overlooked about Milwaukee is that they were not a very good team before jabari barker jabari Parker got hurt, and they really took off with uh the kind of the lineups that they started playing around with after he towards ACL, which is nothing against Jabari Parker. And he was a rookie and pretty much every rookie hurts his team in his rookie year, but they're going to have to reintegrate him. And they're not going to be starting from the place where they finished last season. It's going to be very different. And there is definitely a higher chance of it not meshing as I think some of us are expecting. So that's a good point. Let's transition. The
1: other thing was just before we go into the next thing, sure. They, after they, traded for, after they got rid of Brandon Knight and got MCW, they got significantly worse. They did not play... I think they were like a 500 club after that, or below 500, after just going over expectations in the first half. So, obviously, you wouldn't have been able to keep Knight and Middleton. So, getting MCW and Middleton is probably better than just having one of those guys. But um, I would like to see MCW with a full year with this Bucs, if he can... I mean, he's the point guard. He's going to have to integrate a lot of the like everybody on the team. So I, he's probably the the key figure. If you told me they won fifty games, I'd be like, Michael Carwin's probably got got his stuff together and you know help you know help the team.
0: See, I would say Jared Bayless probably played really solid as a low usage uh, yeah, exactly. starting point guard. But let's move on. Let's talk about the Bulls. Uh, let's just talk about them last. They made two moves so far. Um, the first one, which I loved because I was worried about this, was they agreed to a new deal with Mike Dunleavy for three years and only fourteen point four million, so less than Damari Carroll is making per year, and the third year is only partially guaranteed. I love this move. I think Dunleavy is has been one of the Bulls' most important players for the last two seasons. Uh, he's a great screen setter. He's always moving. He's obviously an unbelievably good shooter. He's a very underrated help defender. The team just plays better when he's on the floor. If you go back and look at the numbers, both seasons he's been on the Bulls, all the best lineups have Dunleavy in them, and it really, I think, became obvious when he hurt his ankle last year. And I think he had played over a hundred games in a row before that, and he missed pretty much the whole month of January this season, actually. And the Bulls were just bad that month. It was their worst month of the season, and. There was not much to be optimistic about, and they were just really missing him. So I think it was really important that they brought him back, even though he's about 35. Uh, because even if he, his minutes go down over the next couple of years, which I'm sure they will with Thibodeau gone, it'll be really good to have him as a glue guy. And he could be a really good mentor to guys like Tony Snell and Doug McDermott as they kind of find their way in the league. So I was a really big fan of that. Do you like Dunleavy as much as I do?
1: I like the idea of Mike Dunleavy, and I think he fits with the Bulls team, which makes the most sense. And if you look at Hoiberg's team in college, they just—I don't think the Bulls can be as up as down, can be up, I mean, as up and down and fast-paced as the Iowa State teams were. But they shoot a lot of threes, and Mike Dunleavy—that's one thing he does really well, really well, really, really well. So if you get a healthy Rose pushing the pace, I mean, he's going to have a lot of opportunities. So and it makes sense—he spreads the defense. It's it's in, it's really invaluable asset to have in the NBA today, so like that, and if you have a guy that can stretch the floor and have like rim protection, those are the two things, uh, that are at at their highest value right now in the NBA, but I like, I like Mike Dunleavy, I have no problems with him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's, I think he's an important part of the Bulls team, and it's, it's important that they brought him back for a lot of reasons, but the big move for them, obviously, was they agreed to a five-year, $90 million deal with Jimmy Butler restricted free agent where he has a player option on the fifth year. This was particularly exciting for Bulls fans because it's been pretty much a given for several months that he was worthy of a max contract. And the question was how many years he would sign for and how quickly he'd be able to maneuver himself into free agency for a new contract. And uh, the Bulls actually became the first team to use a largely unknown part of the CBA called a maximum qualifying offer in which they extended a five-year, $90 million offer to Jimmy Butler at, in addition to the qualifying offer, which meant that he had to sign an offer sheet for at least three full guaranteed years. So basically, Butler was never going to negotiate with another team because the Bulls would match any contract for three years, and no team wanted to tie up their cap space for three days to do that. So Butler's really his only two options were to sign a contract starting at three years with the player option with the Bulls, or to sign the qualifying offer, which would only be for $4 million. Uh, So it was a little bit surprising that he took the full four years plus the fifth-year player option because there had been a lot of talk about how he was trying to angle his way out and how he has problems with Derrick Rose. But I think it's pretty obvious that he wanted to stay in Chicago, he wanted the financial security, and he realized that this was the best option for him. So I was absolutely stoked about him coming back. I'm guessing that you think that was a no-brainer for the Bulls as well?
1: That was the biggest. I think one of the biggest no-brainers of the off-season because, as it stands, he's the most valuable asset on the Bolts, and you don't you can't just let somebody take your most valuable player. So in that sense, it was a no-brainer. And when 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 the what was it when they offered him the five-year ninety-five, and he I know he wanted to take a two-year with an option or whatever other contract with he would be able to get max money in a couple of years. I mean, because he's a competitor and he wants to prove himself for two years, get an enormous contract. But when you have agents in your ear being like, there is $95 million in front of you, you cannot risk risk the giving that much up if you get injured. There's so much uncertainty. So when the agents finally sit down with these guys and say, you will have $95 million and now you know you could sign the two-year, whatever, I don't know the numbers are off the top of my head, but... It's just so much guaranteed money that you just can't say no because even though you might want to sign one of those LeBron two hundred million dollar contracts in two years if you play even better, it's just so much guaranteed money and you, just, you can't turn it up. And I I, don't, I feel like I'm definitely overstating it, but it's it's a lot of money and you can't just turn that down for fifty million dollars less and then you get injured and you just second guess yourself the rest of your life.
0: I absolutely agree. Uh... So many things can happen, especially a guy like Jimmy Butler, who's basically led the NBA in minutes for the last two seasons. He's had a couple injuries where he's missed some serious time. He hasn't had anything, you know, career threatening by any means, but you really never know in this game when you see guys like Kevin Durant and Paul George basically miss entire seasons. It it can happen to the best, most athletic players. So you may as well just lock up the money when you can get it. And he's clearly happy in Chicago. He knows that Thibodeau is gone, so he's not going to be playing 100 minutes a game. So it'll be nice for him to play like 34 minutes a game this season and, you know, be part of an offensive system where there's more space and there's more for him to do. And he's not just taking the whole team on his shoulders because Thibodeau is too focused on the missed defensive assignment from the second quarter. So, yeah, I think I think it's going to be continue to be a very good fit. And I'm optimistic about the Bulls going forward this year. Is there any other free agent deals, trades, rumors you wanted to talk about before we sign
1: off? Yeah, I just want to mention. I think we definitely talk about how much money the Cavs are spending and just how much money they're owing their front court for guys that are not even playing. When Kevin, Lowe, it just it blows my mind how much money they're spending on like four, three guys.
0: Yeah. I see where you're coming from. I think that the Tristan Thompson contract in particular is going to turn out to be a pretty big overpay as even as crucial as he was in the playoffs. Um, But the flip side of it is that they're completely capped out for the foreseeable future, given with what they already had. So they basically have no way of improving the team outside of trades, which is highly unlikely. Um, And, you know, signing guys for like exceptions and minimum contracts. So their options were to either cheap out and not pay the flawed players that they have or just overpay them, especially given the luxury tax bills that they'll have coming and, you know, keep the most talented team possible. So I think that it's going to be a tough pill to swallow perhaps for Dan Gilbert when he has to pay a multi million, so tens of millions dollar luxury pack still because Tristan Thompson makes 16 million and Kyrie extension Kyrie Irving's extension kicks in this year and LeBron and Kevin Love on max contracts and uh, Iman Shumpert let's see he just he'll be making 10 million a year now so it's going to be very expensive but if they didn't bring those guys back uh, the team would get worse with no way of improving so I think one just from a pure you know team building perspective it was their only move and from the ever important LeBron perspective he is still a free agent you know, one of the reasons he's taking these one-year deals is obviously to make his way to the biggest deals he can in the upcoming cap uh, explosion. But the other reason is to just maintain that leverage over the Cavs. You know, he said during the playoffs that he saw no reason why Tristan Thompson shouldn't retire as a Cavalier. And that was a loud and clear message directly to the Cavs' front office that they will spend whatever it takes to bring him back. So I think they did exactly what they had to do. I think it's pretty funny and it's gonna cost them a lot, but they could also win a couple championships, so I think it was the right move. Yeah,
1: I mean it I mean, it's it's the right move because it's hard to give up valuable players. But when you signing Kevin Love I thought was it had to be done. If you don't sign Kevin Love, you literally gave away Andrew Wiggins for absolutely nothing. So regardless of what Kevin Love wanted, I think you had to pay him. But now you're giving Tristan Thompson was it? You're about to give. Him, was it eighty million dollars or ninety million dollars? It's uh, eighty million.
0: Those, eighty million over five years. Million.
1: So now you have sixteen or fifteen million dollars a year on your bench because he's not even a starter. To pay a non-starter sixteen million dollars a year is it's it's flabbergasting. I, I, that's the only word <laughs> I can use. It's and then plus. You have, so you now you have Kevin Love, but LeBron prefers to play the four spot in the fourth quarter. So now you have two guys. I don't know how they're going to work it. I don't even if David Blatt's going to be there, but it's just it's so much money. And I think this is what happened. I think David Griffin, because I'm sure he's a smart guy. He's a general manager. Not a lot of dumb guys get those jobs unless you're from Sacramento. <laughs> but uh, so I'm sure David Griffin's like, this doesn't make sense to sign Tristan Thompson. I can't give this guy $80 million to play. 20 minutes a game, 25 max. But LeBron's in my ear saying we need Tristan Thompson, so I have to do this or I'm going to get fired by LeBron and Dan Gilbert. I just, it's so, it just, it just, it's so much money, and these guys are good players. But Tristan, Tristan Thompson's only real value to a team is, is rebounding, and I'm not get. if I wanted to get somebody that could rebound, I'd sign Reggie Evans for the, the minimum. I I don't want. I mean. It just makes like Tristan Thompson can't stretch the floor. He can't. Uh, I mean, he's not a. He's he can block some shots. He's not really a true room protector. I think it he's.
0: Just, I think he's a very solid defender because he can guard so many positions. Uh, he was really valuable against the Warriors, just as a kind of glue defender all over the floor, help defender. Obviously, like you mentioned, his offensive rebounding is unbelievable. I think when you put those together, he's a pretty valuable player. I mean, he's probably at least a $10 million player in the new salary uh, era, but he's definitely overpaid. But I think the thing that might be getting overlooked about their spending free spree is that Kevin Love is going to be signed. That's actually a pretty team-friendly contract. Um, if, I agree. He He could have signed a 1-plus-1 or a 2-plus-1 and hit free agency again. He's not old. I think he's only 26 years old. Uh So assuming that they fit, find a way to fit him in, or even if they don't, because he was still a pretty damn valuable player last year, they can trade him. In two or three years when max salary guys are making 28 to 35 million a year, Kevin Love at 21, 22 million could be an absolute bargain. So I think that they have avenues to to work from from here. And I think that the only thing that could really hurt them going forward would be LeBron declining. I think that this was their best bet, and if it's not enough, it's not enough. But the fact that they got so close this year against a really, really good Warriors team bodes pretty well for this core going forward.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. It's just it's a um, just a little bit puzzling, and I think it's you just it's just LeBron being player slash GM slash <laughs> he, he runs stuff, so he's going to get the players he wants on the team as always. And his agent
0: is basically one of his best friends. So that entire agency is like running through LeBron. (laughs) So he holds leverage in ways that were not even considered possible in the NBA of the past. So you're definitely right. It's a really weird situation. It's only playing out exactly like this because of LeBron, which is obvious, just given everything that's happened. But I think if you just take that as a given, because you have to do whatever you can to keep LeBron James, I would be doing the exact same things as them.
1: This is the last thing that uh, we didn't cover, I think should be mentioned, is um, the Knicks and the Lakers free agency so far. Is it a disaster or a complete disaster? <laughs> um,
0: I don't think it's a complete disaster because I didn't expect them to really get any of the huge name free agents. And if you're not going to get a Marcus or the Marcus Aldridge, even a Danny green or someone really, really useful, then you're better off, you know, just biding your time. I guess the Sixers are in a tough position because their pick is only top three protected next year. So it's more than likely going to convey to the Sixers as a top 10 pick. Um, but I actually like a lot of what the Knicks have done. Um, they can't really control the fact that the big name free agents, did not want to sign with them. Uh, Porzingis, we'll see what happens. I don't know. They did obviously did well to get Jerry and Grant for Tim Hardaway Jr. That's just good value. Robin Lopez just signed a four-year, $54 million deal with them. That's honestly not an overpay with the way the cap is going up. Lopez is a very, very solid defender and an extremely underrated offensive player. He's very efficient in the pick and roll. Um, At times, I've preferred him to Brook when Brook is injured and whatnot, you have to worry about that more. I'd almost rather sign Robin to a long contract than Brooke. So I like that move a lot. I don't love a follow, but they're only paying him $8 million a year for the next two years, which really can't hurt them much. So I think that Phil is quietly doing a pretty good job of surrounding Carmelo with players that make sense. But I also don't see an immediate avenue for them getting back towards contention. So for if you're a fan of the Knicks, and especially the Lakers... Who have been a lot closer to is. You can talk about that a little if you want with Aldridge, but I could see why it's a very top off season. But I really wouldn't have expected much better. Right. Um,
1: I guess as a Sixers fan, I'm, I'm more of a demented view of free agency and contracts because we're always signing guys for the minimum and just trading off players that we don't want. To, we don't want to pay anyone unless they're just superstars. So for me to sign. Robin Lopez, even though you're right, it's going to be a reasonable contract for what he brings to the table, like in a year or two. But like these are, they don't have a draft pick next year. It's going to the Nuggets. Like they have no way of getting better. They're they're literally leaning on Carmelo, uh, Robin Lopez, Aaron Aflalo, Jerry and Grant, and Porzingis. And Porzingis and Grant probably won't really contribute in the first year. They'll they'll play, but they won't really contribute and they have, they really don't have a lot of ways of getting better unless they finally land someone next year the year after and for just a quick hit on the Lakers I know everyone thought like them so they took Russell and everyone goes oh well getting Aldridge is imminent but I wasn't even, I really wasn't even worried for a second
0: not at all Aldridge not at all
1: because I was not worried for a second because the other teams that were interested the Mavericks the Spurs the Suns so if you're Aldridge in the meeting with the Lakers, with Kupchak and, and the Busses, so you're in that meeting. So would you rather play with DeMarcus Russell, who's a rookie and there's nothing guaranteed saying that he's going to be a superstar, and you get one more year of Kobe Bryant? Or would you rather play with teams that are defined and have a solid uh, core, like more than two players who don't have one year left and who's a rookie? Like, it? For Aldridge, and then you have to play in that spotlight. It just doesn't make any sense why everyone goes, oh well, because it's the Lakers. The Aldridge, Aldridge is going to go there. And I'm, I was telling everybody in, that I know from Philadelphia, I was like, "We're getting our draft pick. It's going to be high. Just don't worry about it." And that's that's what I that's what I was thinking the Lakers.
0: Yeah, I think the only thing that could stop the Sixers from getting that draft pick would be the Lakers getting a top three pick and keeping it. Does it become unprotected right. next year if that happens?
1: After next year, I believe it's unprotected.
0: All right, I think we should wrap it up here. We got into the meat of a lot of these uh, new contracts and some of the stuff that's going on. Thanks for coming on, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Just want to remind everyone that you can read his writing at today's Fast Break, as well as mine, and com. obviously. Thanks again for coming on, Jeff.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, Till next time.